Broadcasting from Jerusalem, Democrats claim they have their smoking gun. Republicans tried to storm a secret Democratic hearing, and Congress people prove they know nothing about the newfangled interwebs. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today at expressvpn.com. Well, first of all, before we even begin, I just want to thank Aisha Torah for putting us up in this location. This is definitely the best location we're ever going to have for the Ben Shapiro Show. If you don't subscribe to the Ben Shapiro Show, one of the reasons you should is so you can see the view behind me, because this really is an astonishing, astonishing view. It has an amazing view of the Kotal. The Western Wall is right behind me. Behind the Western Wall, you will see this giant golden dome. That, of course, is the is the um, Dome of the Rock. That's the, the Muslim shrine. It's not really a, a mosque that they put right on top of the Jew- Jewish holiest site which is what it is. The Temple Mount is behind that wall and occupies that entire plateau. Uh, We walked over there a little bit earlier this week, and then we're kicked off for the crime of mumbling prayers, which apparently is not allowed formally uh, in Israel because of the Islamic Waqf. We wanted to avoid all conflict. The Aish, by the way, you should check them out. Great organization. They teach Jewish wisdom and values. They have branches around the world, and you can check them out at Aish.com. So again, we thank them for providing us with this slot because it really is incredible. As long as we're up here, I may talk for a few minutes here about the importance of Jerusalem. So I'll explain that in just one second. First, let's talk for a second about your investment. So it's a chaotic world out there. And because there's so much chaos, American domestic politics, foreign politics, obviously, the Middle East is is a bit of a tinderbox. And when I say a bit, I mean a large tinderbox. Well, there's a reason that people are rushing to safe haven in gold. Gold is currently sitting at a five-year high. I've been telling you for years that if you are looking to at least diversify a little bit and keep your money in a place where It's not going to be subjected to the whims of governments that inflate currency. It's going to be a little bit protected from the chaos of the world. Well, gold would be the place to go, right? Protect yourself from inflation, from national debt, from global instability. If you haven't taken the first step and actually learned about all of this, gotten your free information kit on gold, you should check out my friends over at birchgold.com. Birchgold will go to work and make things super simple for you. They'll have a conversation with you. You can determine if precious metals investment is something you're into. I'm not urging you to take all your money, sell all your assets and buy gold. I'm saying you should be at least a little bit diversified. I am. I trust the people over at Birchgold to make that happen for you. So go check them out right now over at birchgold.com. Text Ben to 474747 today to see how simple and straightforward the move can be for you. Again, that is text Ben to 474747. Get that free information kit. Okay, so let's say you're not a religious Jew. You're not a religious Christian. You're not a religious Muslim. So you're one of the five people who's not one of those three things. And you are and you are trying to figure out exactly what is the significance of that. Like, what was the significance of this place? Jerusalem, as I've said in my book, The Right Side of History, lies at the heart of Western civilization. It lies at the heart of Western civilization because Jerusalem is the holiest site in Judaism, which is the first monotheistic religion to really have tremendous impact on the world and posits some certain central values that lie at the root of Western values, including human rights. The idea that human beings are made in God's image, the idea that the universe is a predictable place that human intellect is capable of understanding, you know, all of that is deeply important stuff. The reason that this particular site is very important is because underneath, uh, according to Jewish thought, underneath the the Dome of the Rock over there where, where the where the Holy of Holies used to stand in the in the Beit HaMikdash in the in the temple, is the rock where a bunch of things happen. Uh, it's the it's the rock where Abraham, uh, according to the according to the Bible, was about to sacrifice Isaac. It's also the rock where Jacob, when he was promised the land, uh, had his dream with the ladder going up to heaven. 
Uh, it's, it's a deeply important place in Jewish spirituality. And again, Jewish spirituality lies at the root of Christian spirituality. It lies at the root of Muslim spirituality. They're all based on the same book in the, in the original. And Jerusalem is holy to all of those religions for this specific purpose. Now, to talk for a second about sort of the history and geography of Jerusalem beyond the obvious value of understanding the heritage of your, of your thought. And that really is important, whether you are secular or whether you are religious. I was joking before. Obviously, there are a lot of secular people uh, around the West, and that's fine. You can be a perfectly moral person and be secular. But it is obvious that you do have to understand the roots of where your own values come from. And those values do spring from both Athens, the, the idea of Greek thought and rationality, and from Jerusalem, these idea of faith-based, you, you have to take it on assumption, truths about the universe that are then reasoned out through human reason and this tug and pull between revelation and reason, between faith-based assumptions that you must make about the universe in order to create a civilization and human reason, that's what built the West. To talk about the, the geography for just a second, you can't really see off to my left, that would be Ir David. If you could see off to my left, what you would see is that down the hill is the actual site of the, of the kingdom of David. So old Jerusalem, which surrounds us here, on my right is actually a much later invention, historically speaking. Ir David is the stuff that's 3,500 years old, 4,000 years old, depending, going all the way back. That is now being uncovered. It's now being unearthed by archaeologists. Old Jerusalem uh, was built much later. You can see that the, the Kotel, the Western Wall, which is by many thought to be the holiest site in Judaism, that's not true. The Temple Mount is the holiest site in Judaism. The, the Western Wall was actually a retaining wall for the for the actual platform upon which the temple stood. So it's it's kind of weird. Like we're actually praying at the retaining wall, not for the actual temple itself. There was another wall that surrounded the temple. It's it's sort of like praying at the fence of a parking lot that contains the building that you actually care about, right? That's, that's sort of what the Kotel is. The reason that people consider it supremely holy is because obviously it is also the closest place that Jews have had access to for thousands of years to, to pray toward the the point of sort of the the what they call the axis mundi in in greek the the sort of uh, or in latin the the center of the the center of the spiritual universe but the the western wall itself there's there's nothing that differentiates this particular section of the western wall from the stuff that is just off to my left which is more western wall and then if you continue all the way down for thousands and thousands of feet it continues to be western wall it's just tons and tons of western wall going all the way through the difference is that the mom looks actually built buildings all the way up to the Western Wall. So this is all covered by occupied, I don't mean that in, in the sense of like military occupation, I mean like people who actually occupy apartments living up against the Western Wall and have stores up against the, the Western Wall. And then of course the retaining wall continues all the way around and all of that is just as ancient as the Western Wall here. So there's no particular reason that the Western Wall is any more holy theoretically than the Eastern Wall or than the Northern Wall or than the Southern Wall except for sort of location and the ability of Jews to pray there. Now the reason that this is important, I'll get to in just a second. The reason that Jerusalem should remain unified and has to remain in Israeli hands. I'm going to explain in just a second, because historically speaking, bottom line is you see around me a thriving city. This was not a thriving city in 1966. In right? 1966, this was a closed city. The Jordanians were in charge of it and Jews could not pray at the Western Wall. All of this was closed to both Jews and largely to Christians as well. And that changed in 1967 during the Six Day War when Israel was able to take over the old city of Jerusalem. As you can see, when people talk about dividing Jerusalem, they're insane. I mean, they're just crazy. If you look over to my right, there is no place to draw a line here. None, right? You can't divide the old city. It is entirely cohesive. The buildings are stacked on top of each other. This is not suburbia, okay? There's no big street. There's an eight mile in Detroit, right? There's not even a dividing line. It's just a giant, it's just a giant, well-populated area that stretches for 
you know, miles in, in, in a particular radius. So the idea of drawing a line and saying on this side of the line, this will belong to the terrorist Palestinian authority. On this side of the line, we'll have the Israeli government, which is a free and open democratic government, which allows people of every religion to vote and to sit in it and to visit all the holy sites. This wall, the Kotel, was completely closed to Jews for years. There were going all the way back to before the establishment of the state of Israel, when this was British Palestine. Whenever you see people, by the way, talk about, well, you know, this was Palestine before it was British Palestine before. There was never an independent Muslim state of Palestine in this area. It has never existed. Given the way things are going right now, it never will exist because there's just no negotiation to be had with terrorists. The bottom line is that Jews were largely barred from all of the holy sites. In 1967, Israel begs the Jordanians to stay out of the Six-Day War. The Jordanians refuse. They attack Israel. Israel fights back, and they push the Jordanians entirely out of the area, leading to the very famous statement by a member of the Israeli military, Harhabai Biadenu, that the Temple Mount is in our hands. And this has been Israeli territory ever since, as it always should have been, and as it will remain. Because the fact is that there is no dividing line that can be drawn in Jerusalem. Whenever anybody says East Jerusalem is the Palestinian capital, what they're really talking about is towns that are located just outside of Jerusalem. They're not talking about like taking this house right here and saying this is now Palestinian Authority territory. Nobody right, left or center in Israel and the left largely doesn't exist because of this specific issue. Nobody is actually going to buy into the idea of taking razor wire and then dropping it right across the center of the old city of Jerusalem. It's unthinkable. It's unworkable. There was razor wire around the old city of Jerusalem when the Jordanians ran it until 1967. It was a complete disaster area. People were not granted access. Again, for if you're a Christian and you want to visit holy sites, you need Israel to be in charge of this area. If you're a Jew, you certainly need Israel to be in charge of this area because Jews have been forbidden to pray at their holy sites for hundreds of years, in many cases, relegated to specific days they could visit the Western Wall. There were riots if Jews would visit these places. Even now, there's still vestiges of this in how Israel controls the the Temple Mount in the sense that Israel still makes itself subject to the whims of the Islamic Waqf. So as I learned earlier this week when I visited the Temple Mount, if you go up there and you mumble some prayers, there is a chance that you're going to get booted from the Temple Mount for the great sin of praying in Hebrew, right? If I went up there and I prayed in Arabic, then I could walk directly up to the Dome of the Rock. I could just hang out in there all day. I mean, people literally do that. In fact, you can establish a school. There's a school on the on the northern side of the Temple Mount where children who are, who are Muslim actually learn every day. If you're a Jew and you want to walk up there, you have to be guarded by the Mishtara, by the police. And if you if you create, the, if you commit the terrible, terrible sin of praying up there, then perhaps you will be booted. It depends sort of how the police feel that day, if it starts to get really, really bad. But that, that is more a vestige of sort of Jewish-Muslim relations pre-1967 than it is what exists in Israel currently. So in other words, there are more restrictions on Jews praying in Jerusalem than there are on Muslims praying in Jerusalem, in Israeli Jerusalem. So that gives you a little bit of the context in which we sit. If you're just looking at the geography, again, that's Mount Scopus all the way in the background. This is the Temple Mount behind me. You can see the Dome of the Rock. You can see the Western Wall slightly below me. Uh, This is the most contested area on earth. It is also the area that it is vital remain under Israeli control if you actually wish to see freedom of worship, if you wish to see liberalism, and I just mean freedom and openness, then the idea of handing that over to the terrorist Palestinian Authority, to Hamas or to Islamic Jihad or to any of the myriad parties who are currently vying for Palestinian power is full-scale insanity. So when you hear people on the American or European left say, why doesn't Israel just divide Jerusalem? Think about the idea of taking a terrorist and giving them half your house and not moving out. I mean, that's, that is what you are talking about right here. It is just unworkable, unworkable in every possible scenario. Even the left in Israel has now acknowledged that the, that the city of Jerusalem is not going to be divided. 
as I said before, when they talk about dividing Jerusalem, they're really talking about like the very, very outskirts that are largely Arab areas. You know, over to my over to my left, you see some Arab towns. You know, it, everything in Israel is very, very close together because Israel is not a very large country. Um, but I think it's important to actually see it and be here. And if you can't see it, at least take a look at that picture and imagine the idea of a giant wall, uh, a Berlin Wall, going up. You know, half a half a, what maybe a quarter mile to my right here. Great idea. Great. If by by great idea, I mean terrible idea. Okay. Now to the news of the day. So. Let's jump into the news of the day in just one moment. First, let's talk about stamps. I know. Let's, you don't want to drive to the post office. Who wants to drive to the post office? A great place, right? Post office, do a lot of great things for you, but you have to take all your packages and schlep them to the post office. You wait in line for years on end. And then finally, when you get up to the, to the front, you have to take more time working with some. Instead, you know what you could do? You could go to stamps.com and just do it all from home. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Post Office directly to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices or an online seller shipping out products, even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It is indeed that simple. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. I mean, it really is going to make your business easier. We use it at Daily Wire. I use it at home at the Shapiro Compound in the United States. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and digital scale. No long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Shapiro. That is stamps.com, and enter Shapiro for that special deal. Okay, so now to the news of the day. So the president of the United States continues to be under fire over everything Ukraine-related. The media are trying to push back the timeline. So to understand what is happening right here. You have to understand that President Trump basically suspended aid to Ukraine in the aftermath of the election of Ukraine's newly elected leader, Vladimir Zelensky. And the Ukrainians were not formally informed of this. They started to get sort of first indications that the, that the United States was holding back the aid apparently in mid-August. Now, the media are touting that as an obvious example of the quid pro quo. So all of this is an outgrowth of the, we have to back up for a second. All of this is an outgrowth of the testimony by Ambassador Bill Taylor, who testified in front of the House Oversight Committee, the Intel Committee, yesterday. And in his testimony, he suggested that he had worked with a bevy of Trump officials and that everybody sort of understood that President Trump wanted Ukraine to announce investigations and that the aid would be withheld if the investigations were not undertaken. Now, the question is, were those investigations motivated by an attempt to get Joe Biden or were they motivated by an attempt to, quote unquote, fight corruption? The answer probably is somewhere in the middle. Okay, some, and when I say somewhere in the middle, I don't even really mean like get Joe Biden, fight corruption. And it, it really is that President Trump, you have to think of, of President Trump's character. Do you think that President Trump for the last couple of years has been deploying Rudy Giuliani in a specific effort to suss out Joe Biden and find dirt on Joe Biden and go get Joe Biden? And this was just the last step of that? Or was Rudy Giuliani in Ukraine because President Trump was really ticked about all of the talk about Russian interference in the 2016 election. He had heard these wild rumors that Ukraine had Hillary's server. He kept hearing that Ukraine had worked with Hillary Clinton to dig up dirt on him and Paul Manafort. That part happens to be true, as reported by Politico. And so in his head, when he heard Ukrainian corruption, all of this melds into one giant ball of mush. And then he was like, I'm going to send Rudy over there to investigate all of that. And I want Ukraine to go along with all of it. I want Ukraine to simply do what I want them to do, and I'm going to withhold aid until they do that. Now, is that to Trump's political benefit? Is that specifically about Trump? Or is that about a legitimate U.S. interest in finding out what exactly happened in Ukraine in 2016? Now, if you say that, it can, that it's both, 
Well, then you're in Democrat territory, because the fact is that for two and a half years, we investigated Russian interference in the 2016 election. That was in the U.S. interest, right? We do need to find out if foreign countries are interfering in the election. Was it to Democratic political benefit? Of course. Is that impeachable behavior on the part of Democrats? No, it's not. Well, if Trump does the same thing with regard to Ukraine, in other words, if Trump has bad information that Ukraine was interfering in the 2016 election and that Ukraine was attempting to target him and that Ukraine, for some odd reason, has Hillary Clinton's server, and he says, I want to investigate every single bit of that. I want all of that investigated. Is that in his political interest? Sure. Is that in the interest of the United States? Well, yeah, actually, in, in the same way that it was in the interest of the United States to investigate Russian interference in the American election. So it's hard to see how you can have it both ways, that the Trump-Russia investigation was totally legit, above board and decent, but Trump investigating Ukrainian interference in 2016 was absolutely terrible, quid pro quo, solely about Trump, quote unquote, getting his political enemies. See, I think that people are sort of assuming a level of mens rea and intent that just never applies to Trump. I just don't think Trump thinks this way. I don't like what is your evidence that Trump really thinks ahead and thinks step by step in logical fashion toward his end goal? Like, has this ever happened with President Trump ever? No, he's a bundle of reactions. And so he's reacting to people telling him things. He's very angry at Ukraine. He's vindictive about Ukraine. He's been told a lot of stuff by the InfoWars crowd. And so he sends over Rudy Giuliani. He says, Rudy, I want you to go investigate. Rudy is whispering in his ear. There's bad stuff happening in Ukraine. And Trump's like, well, get to the bottom of it. And we're going to withhold aid until they do. Right. Is that is that Trump getting Joe Biden? Or is that a quid pro quo that is real but not illegal and for a, a stupid, half-stupid purpose but not a bad purpose, right? I think that's probably where things are. So one of the points that was made by me, actually, and became sort of a popular talking point on the right is that during this famous July 25th phone call between Trump and Zelensky, Trump is supposedly pressuring Zelensky to go get Joe Biden. He mentions Joe Biden a couple of times and he mentions Burisma a couple of times and, and all of this. And the idea is that he's withholding military aid in order to pressure Zelensky. And as I pointed out at the time, there were several reports suggesting that Zelensky and the Ukrainians had no idea at the time that military aid was actually being withheld. And so it's hard to say quid pro quo, at least over military aid, based on that phone call before the Ukrainians know there is a pro quo. Well, now the media are trying to suggest that, no, the Ukrainians actually did know that there was pressure. They didn't know that there was a quid pro quo, but they knew there was pressure. And they knew by mid-August that there was a, that there was military aid that was being withheld. OK, well, granted. They could know by mid-August, but that July 25th phone call is the crux of this thing. And you'll notice that in the discussions of the Ukraine phone call, one name seems to sort of have dropped away, and that name is Biden, right? So originally, the entire story was that this was all about getting Joe Biden. Then it sort of morphed and broadened into, well, Trump wanted to investigate Ukraine, and that's bad. Well, not quite the same thing, right? Quid pro quo for investigating Ukrainian corruption, even badly informed goals by President Trump. That is not the same as get my domestic political opponent, jail him, go after him, give me the information. That is a slightly different story. Now, as I, I've, I've been saying this now for weeks, Rudy Giuliani is going to be the one this all comes down to. Rudy is going to show up and he's going to testify and he's going to have to explain why the Burisma Joe Biden thing fits into a broader rubric of supposed election interference and corruption. And if he can't do that, then Trump is going to have some troubles. If Rudy gets up there and he says, of course, we were going after Joe Biden. He's our political opponent. Why wouldn't we go after Joe Biden? Well, then Trump is done, right? But if Rudy says anything else, then this is still too vague for anybody to, to impeach in the Senate, to vote for conviction in the Senate. Now, with that said, Republicans are between a rock and a hard place a little bit because Trump's team keeps going out there and saying dumb stuff. Right? You have Mick Mulvaney saying things about quid pro quo. You have Rudy going on TV and saying something ill-informed every five seconds. And so if you're a Republican in Congress, your best bet at this point is to sort of hold fire and wait to see more information come out. And that's 
pretty much precisely what you are seeing at this point, right? What you're seeing is Republicans who are, instead of focusing in on the actual allegations being made by Democrats, they're focusing in on the process. And frankly, that's, that's I think, somewhat legitimate. So the media are going nuts today because House Republicans showed up to a deposition of a Defense Department official in what is called a SCIF, which is a protected information room. Right, where confidential information is being traded. And Republicans showed up and they started protesting there. And they were very upset because they say not enough Republicans are being let in. Now, to be fair, there are Republicans who are sitting in these committees. Republicans are sitting in these committees. There are Republicans and Democrats. They're sitting with Adam Schiff. But Republicans are claiming, they're saying, we have not gotten the full transcripts. We don't know everything that's being said. Why does that matter? Well, because we are hearing wildly, wildly varying reports from these committees about what exactly is happening behind closed doors. So we see the full transcript of Bill Taylor's opening testimony about why he thought that Trump was performing a quid pro quo with military aid. But then you have Devin Nunes, Devin Nunes, who sits on that committee, the representative from California, and he says that John Ratliff, who is another representative, Republican representative, destroyed Taylor upon cross-examination and that Taylor actually could not show a quid pro quo. So here is Nunes saying just that. But the truth is, is that in two minutes, John Ratcliffe destroyed this witness. Uh, there's no quid pro quo. Uh, in addition, it, it continues to be alarming to me the lack of the understanding at the State Department by the bureaucracy there about how much the Ukrainians were involved opposing Donald Trump as a candidate. OK, so what exactly happened behind closed doors? The answer is we don't know. And this is what Republicans are protesting. They're saying, OK, we're hearing one line from the Republicans, we're hearing one line from the Democrats, and we're getting selective leaks out of this committee. So the media have jumped on House Republicans showing up and chanting, let us in and saying, this is ridiculous. There are Republicans in there. That's really not what Republicans are questioning. What Republicans are questioning is why is all of this done, being done behind closed doors? Just do it openly. You want to ask questions? Put it on TV. Right, let's see all of the testimony. Democrats say they're hesitant to do this because they don't want Trump attacking. They don't want Trump going after witnesses. Well, it seems to me that doing this out in the open would be a lot better for the American public. Listen, I was open that I wanted the Mueller report released. OK, on the other side, I was a Republican saying I wanted every iota of the Mueller report released. I wanted the public to see it. They had legit questions and those questions ought to be answered. Well, the public has legit questions about this and they deserve to see all of the answers that are being given behind closed doors. And for all the talk about confidential information that's being put out there, what like we don't know what confidential information is being put out there. And I've yet to hear Democrats even vaguely refer to what the confidential information is. It just seems like a very convenient excuse to keep everything fairly closed. And that is that is pretty absurd. So you see Matt Getz. So Matt Getz, the Republican from Florida, very close Trump ally. He came out yesterday and he slammed the Democrats. He said that, you know, this is this is a shutdown by Democrats. They don't want all the information out there. This was, look, a dramatic move. It was obviously a dramatic move by Republicans in order to get camera attention on all of this. Democrats and the media are labeling this a misdirect effort by Republicans. They don't want to talk about the topic. So instead, they're wildly spinning about the closed door nature of this. Yeah, except that if Democrats would comply with what Republicans wanted, there'd be more information, not less information in the public view. So is it a little bit overblown? Yeah. Is it stagecraft? Absolutely. Just going to point out here that when Democrats occupied Congress, right, they shut down Congress, they slept on the floor of Congress about gun control a few years back. The media couldn't get enough of it. Republicans show up at the skiff and they protest outside and it's all Republican ploy. Repu of course, it's a Republican ploy. Of course, this is Republicans attempting to gain attention. Like, yes, that's what it's for. But does that mean that their basic complaint is illegitimate? No. Here's Matt Getz making the complaint. I'm gathered here with dozens of my congressional colleagues underground in the basement of the Capitol. 
Because if behind those doors they intend to overturn the results of an American presidential election, we want to know what's going on. And it's only reasonable that we would have questions because so far, Adam Schiff's impeachment inquiry has been marked by secret interviews, selective leaks, weird theatrical performances of transcripts that never happened, and lies about contacts with a whistleblower. Okay, so the media are very upset about this. According to the New York Times, about two dozen House Republicans chanting, let us in, let us in, stormed the secure room where a Defense Department official arrived Wednesday morning to testify in the impeachment inquiry, refusing to leave and delaying her testimony for hours. And they're obstructionists. When, when Democrats occupy Congress and sleep overnight there about gun control, that's just them standing up for a position. When Republicans do this for a few hours outside a skiff, then all of a sudden it's the end of the world. The lawmakers, most of whom do not sit on the committees conducting the inquiry and are therefore not entitled to attend its hearings, said they were protesting the closed-door nature of the proceedings, which have been open to members of both parties on the committees. That's the key, on the committees. And when it comes to the leaks, the leaks have been incredibly selective. Adam Schiff has been very leaky. Adam Schiff is not somebody you trust to run this investigation. Running this in public view makes a fair bit of sense. The fact that people are sort of protesting, like if you are in the media, wouldn't you want more information in the public view? Why are you very upset at Republicans for calling for more information in the public view? Republicans are hammering Democrats, according to the New York Times, for limiting attendance at the hearings to members of the Intelligence, Judiciary, and Foreign Affairs Committees. It is common practice for sensitive congressional investigations to be conducted in closed hearings, at least in their preliminary stages. House Republicans did just that when they controlled the chamber and opened an inquiry into the 2012 attack on the U.S. Embassy in Benghazi, Libya. Yeah, the difference was they hadn't announced it was an impeachment inquiry, had they? Right? They hadn't come out and said this is an impeachment inquiry. They said that we're looking into the issue. If you wanted to do your preliminary work without announcing an impeachment inquiry, Nancy Pelosi, Republicans wouldn't have a lot to complain about. But you announced this is now an impeachment inquiry, which means that it should be done out in the open. Democrats say they plan to hold open hearings after the committee's finished opposing witnesses. They intend to make public complete transcripts of witness testimony after they've been reviewed for classified material. So we will see if that's true. If that's true, then these complaints are basically a bunch of nonsense. If it is not true, then Democrats are holding this stuff back for purposes of selective leaking. Democrats are looking to take the impeachment probe public, apparently, as soon as mid-November. According to the Washington Post, they say over the past three weeks, a parade of current and former Trump administration officials have testified behind closed doors, providing House investigators with a compelling narrative of President Trump's campaign to extract political favors from Ukrainian officials. But some Democrats are feeling pressure to advance public hearings in the hopes of avoiding further disruptions, which, of course, is exactly what they should do. Republicans were very passionate about all of this. Some of this is performative for President Trump. Some of this is performative for the camera. Steve Scalise, the representative from Louisiana, said sort of the same thing. He said, this sort of stuff was commonplace in the Soviet Union. Okay, that's over the top. It just is. But we'll see, you know, look, if Democrats continue not to release any information, then maybe it's not over the top. Here's Steve Scalise. What is Adam Schiff trying to hide? I think that's a question so many people have, so many of my colleagues have, so many people in the press should have, is through those hidden closed doors over there, Adam Schiff is trying to impeach a president of the United States behind closed doors, literally trying to overturn the results of the 2016 election a year before Americans get to go to the polls to decide who's going to be the president. And frankly, it should be the people of this country who decide who's going to be the president, not Nancy Pelosi and not Adam Schiff in secret behind closed doors. Okay, so Democrats are certainly feeling the pressure to go ahead and open the doors, which is a good thing. Now, there is an amazing, amazing story from The New York Times today about President Trump. It's called Trump's war on the deep state turns against him. They say the impeachment inquiry is in some ways the culmination of a battle between the president and the government institutions he distrusted and disparaged. He's the president of the United States. It is not the job of the institutions he oversees to undermine his presidency. 
Okay? That's not the way this is supposed to work. Trump's whole complaint about the deep state, I was always on the, on the, under the impression that that was overwrought, but it's hard to say it's overwrought when the New York Times is out there bragging about the so-called deep state going after Trump. That's not something that you want from the executive branch. You can see why President Trump is very upset about all of this. Now, two things can be true at once. It can be true that there are real open questions as to what happened in this whole Ukrainian investigation. It can also be true that the Democrats are partisan hacks, and the only reason they care about this is they want Trump out. It can also be true that the deep state stuff now appears to be a lot more real than it did just a few weeks ago. So all these things can simultaneously be true all the way through. One thing that is not helpful, obviously, is the president of the United States excoriating Republicans who disagree with him as quote-unquote human scum. Like, if you're looking for supporters, this is probably not the way to do this. He's presumably referring here to Bill Taylor, who, who is a who was a Trump appointee, right? It was the Trump administration who wanted Bill Taylor involved in Ukraine. Trump says he has never met him. Yeah, but you asked him to be there, dude. Like, you're admin- like either you run your administration or you don't. Trump tweeted out that never Trump or Republicans, though on respirators with not many left, are in certain ways worse and more dangerous for our country than the do-nothing Democrats. Watch out for them. They are human scum. I mean, you might want to reserve that language for ISIS. Like, if we're going to go human scum, Bill Taylor, the ambassador that you picked for Ukraine, probably it's a little bit much. He said, he said, never Trump or Republican John Bellinger represents never Trump or diplomat Bill Taylor, who I don't know, in testimony before Congress. Do nothing Democrats allow Republicans. Zero representation, zero due process, zero transparency. Does anyone think this is fair? Even though there was no quid pro quo, I'm sure they would like to try. Worse than Dems. It would be really great if the people within the Trump administration, all well-meaning and good, I hope, could stop hiring never-Trumpers or worse than the do-nothing Democrats. Nothing good will ever come from them. So President Trump is attributing all of this to bias. Now, does the bias against Trump exist? Of course. Are there people in the so-called deep state who despise Trump? Of course, that's true. Do we know exactly what Trump did with Ukraine? No. Are there legit questions to be asked about Rudy Giuliani? Sure. Are Democrats partisan hacks? Sure. So if you can make sense out of that, you're a better person than I. You know, all of these, uh, all of this is sort of a miasma of gross. And it's, it's, it's sort of mutual poo flinging at this point. Democrats suggesting Trump is obviously corrupt. Not totally obvious, but there are questions. Trump suggesting that Democrats are obviously partisan. That's obviously true. Republicans suggesting Democrats are doing all this behind closed doors. That is also true right now. It's, it's all a bit of a mess. And by a bit of a mess, I mean a very, very large scale mess. Now, meanwhile, the Democratic side of the aisle is a similar mess. The Democratic side of the aisle is a similar mess. And we'll get to that in just one second. First, we must talk about your legal business. Okay, when you start a business, it's really challenging. And one of the lead costs that you have when you form your business is legal, right? You're gonna spend a lot of money on lawyers. Or alternatively, you could just go check out LegalZoom. Over the past 18 years, LegalZoom has helped more than 2 million business owners get started. Every entrepreneur knows that getting started is just the beginning of your journey, and what happens along the way will determine your success. That's certainly been true for our business. I've been using LegalZoom for legal costs for years, long before they were a sponsor of the program. LegalZoom now has an independent network of attorneys and tax professionals that can help entrepreneurs get started. You can turn to them for advice on trademarks and tax law changes, reviewing contracts. It helps put you at an advantage and you save money because you're avoiding those insane hourly fees. I know I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on legal before just with regard to daily wire business. If you can do it via LegalZoom, why wouldn't you for a fraction of the cost? Go to LegalZoom.com today. Find out all the different ways they can help your business. Don't forget to enter the promo code Ben in the box at checkout. That's LegalZoom.com. Promo code Ben. LegalZoom is indeed where life meets legal. Go check them out right now. Okay, so meanwhile, the Democratic side of the aisle is a bit of a mess as well. So there's a reason Democrats are staking a lot of their hopes on all of this impeachment stuff. And the reason is because their side of the aisle is a complete and utter mess as well. 
And so what you are starting to see, there, there's a poll, a CNN poll that showed, shockingly, that Joe Biden is now popping back up in the polling. Why? Because it turns out that as people get a second look at Elizabeth Warren, they're not really loving what they see. CNN reports that Biden now has the support of 34% of Democratic and Democratic-leaning registered voters. That is his best showing in CNN polling since just after his campaign's formal launch on April 25th. So it looked like Elizabeth Warren was popping up into the lead. And now, according to that CNN poll and several other polls, Biden actually seems to be regaining the lead and widening it. Why? Because he's just default Democrat, right? He's a dead guy who's running as a Democrat. He's not even a sentient creature at this point, Joe Biden. He's sort of wandering around bloviating and nobody knows what he thinks because he doesn't know what he thinks. And he's drinking cans of Ensure and just saying words that don't exist in English. And people are like, that guy, not Elizabeth Warren, that guy. Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts and Bernie Sanders of Vermont, according to CNN, are about even for a second, 19% and 16% behind them. Mayor Pete Buttigieg and Senator Kamala Harris of California each have 6% support. Amy Klobuchar and Beto stuck at 3% each. What's happening? Well, Biden's rise, according to CNN, is coming from a consolidation of support among his core backers who are taking a look at other candidates and then returning to him. That polling data was collected from October 17th to 20th during the Hunter Biden news cycle. So people are still seeing him as default Democrat, which is very good news for him. And again, the reason for that, the Democratic field is terrible. It's a terrible, terrible field. Right? Biden's basic pitch, Biden's basic pitch is that he is Barack Obama part three. So Biden came out yesterday and he says, really, if you like everything about the economy, you should you should credit me with that. Here is Joe Biden basically, again, being default Democrat. He is just he is weekend at Bernie's. They stapled the wig on his head and they're just wheeling him around on that gurney. And here he is talking about how Trump inherited the strong economy from him. Right now, under, under the Republican and the Trump plan, we only reward wealth. You know, we Donald Trump inherited a strong economy from Barack and me. Things were beginning to really move. And just like everything else he's inherited, he's in the midst of squandering it, squandering. Okay, so there is Joe Biden making his very lackluster pitch, but that lackluster pitch is certainly better than Elizabeth Warren, as you will see in just one moment. First, let me talk about safety and security. So as you know, when I'm in the United States, I have 24-7 security. Safety is really important to me. I get an awful lot of threats, unfortunately, and that is why I rely on Ring. And when I'm away from home, like everyone knows right now I'm away from home, correct? Right? I mean, I'm overlooking Jerusalem. I don't live here. Well, that means that when somebody rings my doorbell in, in LA, I know who it is because it pops up on my phone. I can pick up. I can see who it is. I can talk to them. I can call the cops if I need to. Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer. You might already know about their smart video doorbells and cameras that protect millions of people everywhere. Ring helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. So if there's a package delivery or a surprise visitor, you get an alert. You'll be able to see, hear, and speak to them all from your phone. It definitely makes me feel safer. It makes my wife feel safer as well. Now, as a subscriber, you have a special offer on a Ring welcome kit available right now at ring.com slash Ben. The kit includes the Ring Video Doorbell 2 and a Chime Pro. That's what you need to start building that ring of security around your home today. Go to ring.com slash Ben. Again, that is ring.com slash Ben. Additional terms may apply. I rely on Ring for safety. And as someone who cares about safety, trust me, you're going to want Ring on your house as well. Check them out at ring.com slash Ben. Again, that's ring.com slash Ben. Okay, more on the 2020 Democratic presidential race, which is not quite the Elizabeth Warren walkover that people were predicting just a couple of weeks ago in the aftermath of the latest round of debates. First, you're going to have to go over to Daily Wire and subscribe. We have all sorts of goodies for you over there, including our brand new Sunday special. This week's Sunday special features Preet Bharara. Now, to be fair to Preet, we recorded this before some of the, some of the newest impeachment stuff. So we talked a lot about Mueller. We talked a lot about 
President Trump and legality. We talked about his role as a as an, uh, district attorney in, in Southern District of New York and the role of prosecutors. I think it's really fascinating. You're going to want to go check that out. Here's a little bit of what that sounded like. If you're a federal judge and you piss off the president, he tweets at you and you get to keep your job for the rest of your life. If you're a U.S. attorney, you piss off the president, you get a podcast. So, <laughs> so it's, quite a, it's quite a different way of, of going about it. It's really fascinating. You're going to want to go check it out. And you can get that early. You can get that on, on Saturdays. It's the Sunday special. You get it early if you're a subscriber over at Daily Wire. Also, the Daily Wire's long-awaited app is finally here, and it really is first rate. If you're a subscriber, you can access all of our content, including articles, shows, and more straight from the app. All Access subscribers actually get our new and exclusive discussion features. You can interact directly with me, right? We do these Q&As online. They're really a lot of fun. The app is available on Apple and Android, so download today. Become a subscriber. Come join the fun. It really is terrific. Go subscribe over at dailywire.com for 99 bucks a year. You get the magical Tumblr, which we brought with us. This is the most holy place this Tumblr has ever been. So you can, you can go check that out for $99 a year. We really appreciate it. We're the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Alrighty, so as I say, Joe Biden looking much better in that CNN poll. And one of the reasons he's looking better is because Elizabeth Warren's looking worse. Like the more you see of Elizabeth Warren, you, the less you like her as a candidate. Like take, for example, this. Elizabeth Warren, she's Hillary 2.0, or maybe she's Hillary 0.5, I don't know. Remember that famous tape of Hillary Clinton in, in Rapid City, Iowa, was it? Or, or, or uh, North Dakota, I can't remember where she was. She was somewhere in the Midwest. And she is sitting at Cedar Rapids, that's what it was. And she says, here I am outside Cedar Rapids, chilling in Cedar Rapids with like, a, with like a brew. And everybody's like, this is the most fake, ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Well, it was until now. Wait until you see Elizabeth Warren talk up Waffle House. Let's do some call time. Mason works at a yoga studio. Emily donated just after the climate town hall. Teacher in Springfield, Massachusetts. Got Philippe. Oh my gosh, Melody works at my favorite place, Waffle House. If you think that Elizabeth Warren's favorite place is Waffle House, you're high. Okay, like really, that, that is, <laughs> if you truly believe that Elizabeth, she's a woman of the people. Every day she goes on over to Waffle House, she has some of those chicken and waffles and really enjoys herself. And she, she's a member of the, of the waffle eating pub. This is a lady who suggested that she won't even drink coffee, right? Her favorite drink was like high octane tea because that's who Elizabeth Warren is. Yeah, I'm sure that she's headed over to the Waffle House immediately upon the cessation of her of her latest rally. She's going to head on over to the Waffle House. And then you look at the other alternatives. You got Cory Booker, Mr. Potato Head with the angry eyes, talking about how he's the alternative to Biden. Well, people looking at him as the alternative to Biden, um, he's at 2% in the polls. So no, that's not a thing. So those Democrats who are looking for an alternative now, I want to make the case today very directly that look no further. I can and have excited a diverse coalition of voters. I can and have united progressives, and moderates. We need to keep the long view in mind, not just winning a primary, but beating Trump, understanding that this is a moral moment. See, by excited a diverse coalition of voters, what he means is I have five friends and they're all of different ethnicities. Right? That, that's what he means. He means he has a, a multiracial, very small room full of supporters, which is very exciting. Excited a diverse coalition. I, I love that. It's a, it's, it's a pretty spectacular euphemism. Like these campaigns are not connecting with the heart of America right now. Now, this is this is why President Trump really needs to cut out the shenanigans, because the fact is that so long as he remains top of the headlines, Democrats are going to benefit. I mean, the polls right now on impeachment are not good for President Trump, but this Democratic field is extremely weak. Plus, 
Hillary Clinton is waiting in the wings. Philippe Reigns, who was her chief of staff for many, many years, was on Fox News last night. And he actually said that Hillary is explicitly leaving the door open to jumping back into the race. And if you're Hillary, as I've been saying now for, for a week, you got to think to yourself, like, why not? You think that I like Joe Biden's it, guys? Like not not Hillary, not this Hillary. The country needs some Hillary. And then she's got Tulsi Gabbard to pick on, right? Tulsi is going at it with Hillary. Tulsi slammed Hillary again. She put out a new video saying that her foreign policy was a disaster. Step down from your throne and fight with me. Right? It's funny how when I said that, that AOC should have a discussion slash debate with me, that's sexist. When Tulsi Gabbard says that Hillary should step down off her throne and have a debate with Tulsi, that's just her being a hard-nosed politician. Here's Tulsi going after Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, your foreign policy has been a disaster for our country and the world. It's resulted in the deaths and injuries of so many of my brothers and sisters in uniform. It's devastated entire countries, millions of lives lost. It's time for you to acknowledge the damage that you've caused. And it is long past time for you to step down from your throne so that the Democratic Party can lead with a new foreign policy, which will actually be in the interests of and benefit to the American people and the world. So you want to know why the Democrats are so impeachment focused right now? Take a look at that field and you tell me why the Democrats are so impeachment focused right now. By the way, how bad is Elizabeth Warren's campaign? And how hard are the media pushing her? There is an opinion piece in the New York Times today by a woman named Alyssa Quart, the author of Thoughts and Prayers. It's called Elizabeth Warren has a poet on her team. Here's why that's a good idea. And the entire thing is about why you need more poets in politics. It says, I don't even know how to pronounce this name, so I'm just going to butcher it. Kamanhe Felix became the director of surrogates and strategic communications for Senator Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign in June. She's also the author of Build Yourself a Boat, a debut collection of poetry that was recently included on the long list for the National Book Award. Miss Felix's writings describe sexual assault, firsthand experience of abortion, and police violence, including poems about the trial of George Zimmerman, the man who shot Trayvon Martin. Should we be surprised about a link between the highest levels of our political world and our most acclaimed poetry? I don't think so. And I think we should get ready for more of it because it's coming and we need it desperately. President Trump, and his cronies alter our language for the worse, renaming white nationalists the alt-right and calling journalism fake news. So we need more poets, more poets. And po- yeah, good, good luck. This is, this is how you win back Michigan right here. You win back those Michigan auto workers by going and getting the lady who's on the, sh- the shortlist for the National Book Award for writing poems about her firsthand experience of abortion. Perfect. Well done, Elizabeth Warren campaign. I can't imagine why everybody is so focused on get rid of Trump now because if we don't, we have serious troubles. Like, and meanwhile, the Democrats on Capitol Hill I have to say, it's always amusing to watch members of Congress question members of big tech. The reason is members of Congress don't know what a computer is. They're still using abacuses, abacai, and they are using they are using like 1984 Macs because they don't know what the Internet is. They don't know what the Internet is for. And so this is what the third time that Mark Zuckerberg has testified on the Hill. And you got to feel bad for the guy, honestly, because when you see the questions he's being asked, it is so obvious that Democrats desperately want to take control of the creation that, that Zuckerberg created and use it to control political rhetoric. Hey, my friend Steven Crowder came out with information suggesting that YouTube was actually de-promoting results. That was, it was demoting results from Tulsi Gabbard in moments of great import to the Tulsi Gabbard campaign. If big tech is doing that, I'm sure they are doing that at the behest of Democrats who would like to run this thing from above. Because when you hear Democrats question Zuckerberg, what they want to do with the First Amendment, what they want to do with free speech and what they want to do with big tech is truly frightening. This is why when I hear Republicans and they're like, ah, the government should take control of big tech. It's like, understand that Elizabeth Warren and AOC are going to be running that thing. It ain't going to go well. Take this example. So AOC is just 
she's been a horror show in these in these questioning sessions. She used to be good because she had a guy named Saikat Chakrabarty who was allegedly writing all of her questions. He's gone. So now she's writing her own questions. And that's sort of like letting actors on set write their own lines, which is just a huge, huge mistake. Here is AOC questioning Mark Zuckerberg, asking why Mark Zuckerberg would even do business with The Daily Caller, which, of course, is a conservative publication. She says the Daily Caller has ties to white, white supremacists. Why would you even allow Daily Caller on your platform, basically? Can you explain why you've named The Daily Caller a publication white, uh, well-documented with ties to white supremacists as an official fact-checker for Facebook? Congresswoman, sure. We actually don't appoint the independent fact-checkers. They go through an independent organization called the Independent Fact-Checking Network that has a rigorous standard for who they allow to, uh, to serve as a fact-checker. So you would say that white supremacist-tied uh, publications meet a rigorous standard for fact-checking? And Zuckerberg's like, what are you, is that English? Was that last question English? Like, it is true, by the way. They have a, an actual process by which they deem somebody a fact-checker on Facebook. And as for the quote-unquote ties to white supremacy, I assume that she's referring to a couple of low-level writers for The Daily Caller who ended up being fired after old Facebook posts came out from like 10 years ago or five years ago, whatever it was. The Daily Caller does not have documented ties to white supremacist groups. That's insane. That's insane. It's like saying that, that James Hodgkinson, who is the, the mass shooter of, of Republican Congress people, was a member of the Bernie campaign, and therefore Bernie has ties to mass shootings. Like, that's, that's just bizarre and crazy. But this is, Democrats want control of the methods of, di- of, of dissemination of information. They made that perfectly clear to, to Zuckerberg. Like, what, do they understand what Facebook is for? So they, they were attacking Zuckerberg over Facebook, and they were attacking Zuckerberg over the creation of Libra, which is basically a, a Bitcoin thing, right? And Bitcoin, in my opinion, is generally a good. I like the idea of people being able to barter and exchange using a currency that is not under the control of a centralized government. I don't like the idea that the United States government can simply devalue their currency whenever they please. It's bizarre to me. So all these Congress people were attacking Libra and they were attacking Facebook, but doing so in like the weirdest possible way, in the most bizarre possible way. So take, for example, do we have this clip of Maxine Waters talking about misinformation? So Maxine, Maxine Waters questioned Zuckerberg, and she asked specifically about whether Zuckerberg was putting out misinformation. And AOC did the same thing. Like, well, are you willing to put out campaign ads that have overt lies in them? And Zuckerberg's like, well, not if they're suppressing votes, right? I mean, that has an actual impact, but it's not our job to evaluate for our readers true and false coming from prominent politicians. That's their job. They, like, more information is better. And Maxine Waters can't handle it because Maxine Waters is not a logical human being. Facebook itself actually does not, check, does not fact check. What we do is we have feedback that, that people in our community don't want to see viral hoaxes or, or, or kind of so widespread. So let me be clear. You do no fact checking on any ads. Is that correct? Uh, Chairwoman, what we do is we work with uh, a set of independent fact checkers who Somebody fact checks on ads. You have you contract with someone to do that. Is that right? Uh, Chairwoman, yes. And tell me, who is it that they fact checked on? I mean, she, she's just saying nonsensical questions. She's conflating everything, right? The, the policy of Facebook is that when politicians put out ads, they do not fact check the ads for taking down because they feel the fact checkers are then going to fact check those ads. When it comes to people putting out you know, direct attacks on, on people that are not politicians, right? When it comes to political speech, in other words, Facebook takes a pretty broad view. When it comes to, supposedly, when it comes to, you know, an advertiser 
who is advertising a product and they're slandering somebody, then Facebook won't put that up. That seems fairly clear. But these people don't understand even like the basics of how Facebook works. Why? Because they've just decided that big tech is the bad guy unless they can control big tech. Like, listen to what they actually want. Here's some of the dumb, th those were the more intelligent questions, believe it or not. You ready for this one? Here's Al Green, Representative Al Green. Uh, I believe he's from New York, asking how many LGBT people work on the Bitcoin Libra? Like, what? What? Now, like, what is that? That's like saying how many gay people work at the United States Mint? Like, what, what does that have to do with anything? Like, would it make the U.S. dollar less legitimate if there are fewer than, than 3% of the people who work on the U.S. dollar are gay people? Like, what? what? Here's Green being, being a complete moron. One would assume that you would know who heads these corporations that are going to be running this global company. Um, how many of them are minorities, Mr. Zuckerberg? Uh, Congressman, I, I do not know off the top of my head. Are there any members of the LGBTQ plus community in the, associated with this association, Mr. Zuckerberg? Is that, what? Hold up, hold up. Al Green, so how many transgender people are working on Libra? Like, you're getting called in front of Congress. I feel like Congress may have overstepped his boundaries just a little bit. And um, listen, I don't trust Zuckerberg, and I don't trust anybody. Listen, I don't trust anybody. I don't trust anybody in big tech to keep to their promises. But Zuckerberg has at least articulated a standard. You think I trust Al Green, who is questioning whether Libra should be able to go forward based on how many people who believe they are a member of the opposite sex are working on the tech for Libra? Like, what in the... It's, it's, it's insanity. You want those people in charge of the country? You want Elizabeth Warren in charge of the country? You want, you want those folks? Uh, I don't. I don't. Okay, time for some quick things that I hate. There is a poll out about Jewish Americans. Apparently, nearly a third of Jewish Americans say they've hidden their religious identity or avoided carrying items that would identify oneself as Jewish in public due to threats of anti-Semitism, according to a poll released by the American Jewish Committee. Apparently, 31% of respondents said they had avoided publicly wearing, carrying, or displaying things that might help people identify them as a Jew. I mean, frankly, you know, look, I, I wear a kippah everywhere. You know, I, in, in the United States, I feel very, very safe as a Jew. There are certain areas where if I'm walking around, I'm probably going to wear a baseball cap because I feel like they're less safe for Jews. That, that is not any great shock. And that is why, among other reasons, Jerusalem, where we are broadcasting from, matters. And the fact is that anti-Semitism is a deep part of world thought. The fact is that Jew hatred tends to crop up incredibly regularly. We are not yet two generations removed from the Holocaust. Uh, the fact is that anti-Semitism crops up everywhere from Williamsburg, New York, to the halls of white supremacists in, in Washington state. Like this, this is a real thing. And that's why a state of Israel that defends Jews, that, that is a place where Jews can go if things get rough, uh, is, is a very, very important thing. I will also point out that I'm, I'm quite amused by Ilhan Omar, who's an overt anti-Semite. I mean, Ilhan Omar hates Jews. She hates the state of Israel, which are not quite the same thing, but tend to be heavily related. Not everybody who is anti-Israel is anti-Semitic, but everybody who's anti-Semitic is anti-Israel. I've yet to meet an anti-Semite who's really, really pro-Israel. just is not a thing that exists. In any case, Ilhan Omar had a piece today called Sanctions Are Part of a Failed Foreign Policy Playbook. Stop relying on them. And she made the case that the United States should not put sanctions on Turkey, even though Turkey ran roughshod over the Kurds. The United States should not involve itself in sanctions. She says, in so much of our foreign policy, we rely on muscle memory and a limited toolbox to decide the best course of action. Too often, sanctions regimes are ill-considered, incoherent, and counterproductive. 
except for the Jews, right? Ilhan Omar is totally fine with everybody on earth, including states boycotting the Jewish state, the only democracy in the Middle East. But if you're going to, if you suggest that you're going to put economic sanctions on Islamic dictatorship in Turkey that just bombed the living daylights out of the Kurds, that Ilhan Omar is very much against that. That is very, if, she also says we should not have sanctions on Venezuela, where people have been relegated to eating their household pets because everybody is starving in Venezuela thanks to socialism. She says that we should not put sanctions on Venezuela or Iran. She says we should not have sanctions on Iran either. She says that sanctions have simultaneously strengthened the Iranian regime's credibility at home and united human rights activists and the Iran leadership in opposition to the strategy. If you're a human rights activist and you're very, very pro-Iran in their fight against the sanctions, you're not very much of a human rights activist. But so she, just to get this straight, no sanctions on Venezuela, no sanctions on Iran, no sanctions on Turkey, divestment, boycott, and sanctions against Israel, right? The last letter of BDS is sanctions. So she wants sanctions on the Jews, but nobody else. But don't worry, guys. Anti-Semitism is totally dead. There's no reason for the state of Israel to exist. Jews don't need any place to live because they're well accepted everywhere, obviously. I mean, anti look, Ilhan Omar is just against sanctions. She, she doesn't like sanctions for anybody except people who wear funny hats and have names ending in like Baumenstein. And that's just that's not because she hates those people. It's just because those people happen to be really greedy and money grubbing. And because they're so mean to, to people of other religions. I mean, let's be straight about this. Right? They're hypnotizing the world. But anti-Semitism is totally dead, which is why Israel should give up sovereignty over Jerusalem and basically just, you know, move off into the midst of history. Israel is no longer necessary. Say the anti-Semites who also hate Jews. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Ilhan Omar. I really appreciate it. Okay. You know what? We've done enough things that I hate today. But, you know, one more, one more quick thing that I hate. So the media, President Trump's lawyer is defending President Trump today because because President Trump is trying to defend himself against attempts to go after his tax returns. Well, attorneys for President Trump said that if President Trump shot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue, New York authorities could not punish him while he's in office. That's what the president's lawyers argued. And this was treated as a grand revelation. How could, how could you possibly say that if Trump murdered someone on Fifth Avenue, he couldn't be prosecuted? Literally everybody believes this. Okay, this is well-established well-established jurisprudence in the United States. The president of the United States is not subject to state criminal sanctions while he is in office. If Trump were to shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, he would have to be impeached. Why? Because what you don't want is 50 state attorney generals prosecuting the president of the United States while he is in office, which is exactly what would happen. But this is being treated as a great revelation by the media because the media obviously have a dog in this particular fight. Okay, we'll be back here tomorrow from a less beautiful location. Otherwise, you can join us a little bit later today for two additional hours from this beautiful location. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Robert Sterling, directed by Mike Joyner, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. After weeks of closed-door Democratic impeachment meetings, Congressman Matt Gates leads a group of Republicans to storm the secretive deposition room to demand transparency. Meanwhile, a top aide to Hillary Clinton signals that America's favorite battle axe may be running again. Some fear the U.S. is headed towards civil war. I fear a far more dreadful future. We are becoming Great Britain. 
Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 